0: Great. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. As you can see I know what I'm doing up here, so you're in good hands. Um, but it's great to be together. My name is Sean. I'm, I'm on the leadership team here at One Tribe. And just to add my welcome to, to, to the, what uh, Cephas has already given to you, it's awesome to have you here, especially if you're here for the first, the first time. Um, and I'm going to be speaking today, continuing our journey through the book of Acts. Um, But before I do that, I just want to share a little bit of a personal testimony. I mean, to be honest, it feels like uh, uh, the sermon I was going to preach has already been preached uh, through the worship, the songs that we've been singing over each other, uh, the words that have been shared, the prayers that have been prayed. Uh, I've been so blessed and encouraged, but hopefully we can continue just to to rest and enjoy God's grace and love a little bit more through His Word. Um, But I grew up in in Bulawayo, uh, Zimbabwe. A great, great country. What a place. What a place. Still very close to my heart. Um, it's, it's only second now in my affections to the incredible land of Kenya, of course. What a place to be. I'm now in Kenya, a citizen of Kenya, very proudly. And um, I grew up and I went to a church when I was growing up called Bulawayo Baptist Church. And my father was actually a pastor there. And, and I, when I was a kid, I, I think I was a pretty good kid. I, in fact, Tesney would say I was a nerd. Is what she says. But I like to think that I was a cool, you know, one of those cool nerds. Um, but I remember in my my early years believing in Jesus and then uh, going to church and trying really hard to be a good person. In fact, trying really hard not just to be a good person, but to be a good Christian. And sometimes I'd get it right, and then other times I wouldn't. And when I didn't get it right, like I just, it really knocked me down. And I was like, I messed up again, and I failed, and and I'd beat myself up about it, and. And there just wasn't a lot of joy in my, in my faith. There was a lot of hard work is what it felt like. And there were some young adults in, in, in the church. Uh, they, they showed an interest in me and a bunch of my, my friends. And they started to spend some time with us. And um, yeah, they just, they just had something I didn't have. They had, they had a joy. Uh, they had a peace. <laughs> it just seemed like these guys were having fun. They weren't really trying very hard but they were really passionate about Jesus. And I was like, man, I want that. And, and I got to spend time with them. And the turning point came for me when these young adults organized a camp. It's so cool to see us talking about camps because, you know, for me, those were significant moments in my, in my faith journey. And I went on this camp with these young adults. And somewhere during that camp, I just remember feeling like God spoke to me. And, and it wasn't like audible, but I remember... God speaking to my heart and saying something like, I want you to just stop trying so hard. And I want you just to enjoy me. And then I want you to see what I will do. And I, I don't know how quite to explain it, but in that moment, I feel like I understood for the first time what grace is all about. And it changed my life. And today, I want to talk to us about what happens when grace comes to town. And I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive into our passage for the day. God, we just thank you for this amazing time in your presence, just being reminded of your incredible love towards us, this unconditional love. Thank you that you loved us first, before we did anything for you. Thank you, God, that it speaks to us about your amazing grace that you would love us enough to take our place on the cross, to die in our place so that we could be free and forgiven and found in relationship with you. I just pray this morning that you would switch the lights on in our hearts and minds, remind us of your boundless grace towards us. I pray that the atmosphere of grace would fill this church and would fill our hearts and minds, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going through this this ACT series as a church, we've been doing it for quite a while because we're going through literally verse by verse. And the story so far is basically the early church has broken out of Jerusalem. They're spreading the good news of what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection. And and the idea is that they're spreading this message from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And where we are at the moment in chapter 14, we're kind of in the ends of the earth section. So Paul and and Barnabas, they've been sent out from a church uh, called Antioch, this rocking church that we spent quite a bit of time talking about. And if we look on the map, you can see that they were sent out from Antioch and Syria. They had this weird encounter with a sorcerer on the island of Cyprus, and then they crossed over to the mainland of Asia Minor. And first they headed up uh, into a place, another Antioch. This is Pisidian Antioch on the left-hand side there. And we've been camping out there for the last few weeks, seeing what happened in Antioch Pisidia. And a few weeks ago, Cephas was speaking about their time there. And he was asking the question, what was the message of this first missionary journey that these guys were bringing? They were on a mission, but what was the message that they were bringing on their mission? And Cephas explained to us that the message that they were bringing was the message of the grace of God. That was the message. And Cephas went on to explain, well, what is the grace of God? And and he said, well, the grace of God is that a good God does good things to undeserving people. He said, "The, the grace of God is a God who initiates a loving relationship with the undeserving. That the grace of God is that God does not treat us as our sins and our failures deserve. And in Acts 14 today, uh, we see Paul and Barnabas moving from Antioch, Pisidia, and they come to a town called Iconium. And I want to look today at what does it look like when this message of grace arrives in town? This town is about 150 kilometers southeast of Pisidian, Antioch. It's actually today in modern Turkey. It's, it's now the fifth largest town in Turkey, and it's called Konya. So let's read together. From Acts chapter 14, verse 1, and the the, the verses will also be up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas ran away. No. Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles, and there was a plot afoot, both the Jews and the Gentiles, together with their leaders, to mistreat and stone them. But they found out about it. And then they did run away. They fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel or the good news. So that's our passage for this morning. And at first glance, you might read through those seven verses and say, shuck, Sean, I'm not really sure how much new we can learn from this passage. You know, we've been in Acts for a while, okay? And this kind of sounds like the same thing that we've been learning about for the last couple of months. Okay, so the, you know Paul and Barnabas arrive in town. They preach. Lots of people get saved. Some people don't get saved. Those who don't get saved get angry. They stir up a mob. They bring persecution. Those guys have to leave. There's some signs and some wonders thrown into the mix. There. We've still got like half an hour left of the sermon. So, the the good news is though that there are some interesting things in here uh, to unpack. Right? And one interesting thing, is that Iconium as you saw on the map, is in the heart of a region that's called Galatia. Now, if you've been in church for a while, I hope that that sounds familiar, because there's a book that's called Galatians. Galatians. Now, Galatians is actually a letter from Paul that's written to the churches in Galatia, and one of those churches would have been the church that was planted, started here in Iconium. And the whole... The whole idea behind that is that Paul had come, they're thinking about AD 47, 48 to Galatia, this Paul and Barnabas arriving in chapter 14. They preached, they saw conversions. Later on, we'll see they circled back there to encourage the church there. And then they moved on. But a couple of years later, some scholars believe only two or three years later, Paul wrote the letter to Galatians. Some think it was a couple of years longer than that. But a few years later, they write a letter because, after starting off responding with joy to this grace, this gospel, this good news, the Galatians had got in trouble. You see, some legalists had snuck in amongst the church there and started to influence the church to try and please God, not by accepting the gospel of grace, but by doing a bunch of good works to try getting God's good books. And this drift towards legalism. is not something that Paul takes lightly. It's a big issue for Paul. And the whole book of Galatians is filled with this really strong language. At the beginning of the letter, he says stuff like, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the gospel of grace, that you turn into another gospel, which is not even a gospel. He uses language later on like, you crazy Galatians, did someone put a spell on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Some people say it's like, a dear idiots, what are you doing? He's so defensive of the Galatians holding on to the gospel of grace that he even calls for the legalists who've come in to be cursed. And then he goes further. He says, no, they, they should be castrated, okay, which sounds weird, Okay, but you have to understand the context a little bit less weird when you understand one of the rules they were trying to force the church to follow was circumcision. So that explains that a little bit. And at the end of the letter, Paul says, I'm grabbing the pen from the scribe that I'm dictating to you, because I want to tell you that you're reading my own very handwriting here, my bold scrawls of my personal writing, so that you understand the immense importance of what I'm saying to you. And so where where I want to head today, what's in my heart in, in reading this passage, is that I believe the story of the church in Iconium gives us a unique opportunity To understand what does it look like when grace comes to town, but also, because there's this letter that follows up, what does it look like for a community to continue to walk in the grace that it receives when grace first comes to town? Does that make sense? So we're going to have a look at that today, and we're going to pray about what are the implications for us as a community in Nairobi. What does it look like for us to receive grace and then to continue to walk in grace? We'll look under, under three headings, just so you know where I'm going. We're going to talk about how when grace comes to town, grace rescues freely. Then we're going to talk about how grace unites diversity. And then we're going to talk about how grace works powerfully. So first of all, grace rescues freely. And we see this happening in verse 1. As the, as the apostles arrive in Antioch, verse 1 says, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. They spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Wonderful. People believed. What was so effective about this message? What effective message did they bring? You know, we don't have any, any text, any quotes in this passage. We, we don't have any details of the message that they bring. But in the passage, it hints that they brought the message of grace, that they brought the gospel, that they brought the good news. It's the same message that they've been bringing at every stop along the way. It's the good news that God is a God who does good things to undeserving people. He initiates a loving relationship with us. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. The effective message that they brought was the good news that God rescues us for free. I think it's interesting to think about here the difference between good advice and good news. It's Paul and Barnabas, they weren't bringing good advice to these guys in Iconium. They weren't saying, hey, if you, wanna, if you wanna be better people, if you wanna bring a better life, if you wanna build a better society, this is what you need to do, here's some tips. They were bringing good news. You think about this kind of like COVID, right? So during the pandemic, there's been a lot of advice out there, some of it good. There's been a lot of advice from, from health authorities saying, hey, you need to wear your mask, you need to social distance, you need to wash your hands, this disease can hurt you, this is what you need to know about it. That's all good advice. Good news would be like saying, Guys, we found the cure. The pandemic is over. No more death. We're free. No more masks. Hallelujah. That's good news. When I mean, Paul is writing back to this church in Galatia in the first few verses, he just hits it home again. He comes to them and he says, Guys, remember what I said to you. He greets them. He said, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ, this is in Galatians 1, who gave himself from, for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. You see, the legalism that had started creeping into the church in Galatia was like good advice. It was well, not all of it good, but it was advice on, on how to live a better life, on how to, how to please God, how to impress God. But Paul reminds them that grace is the stunning good news, that it's God who came to rescue us. And that rescue was paid for on the cross. When Jesus, who had lived the perfect life, we could never live, he took our place so that we could go free. In another one of his letters, Paul lays it out in the church, writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's the message of grace. But we see in Iconium that not everyone believed. We see that some people refused in verse 4. Some of the Jews refused to believe. And I think this is because the message of grace can actually be a stumbling block as well, right? It can be a stumbling block to you if you're a legalist or if you're irreligious. It can be a stumbling block to you if you're moral, or if you're immoral. Because if, if you're a legalist, if you're moral you might think, no, I'm not ready to stop boasting in my works because I actually think I'm a pretty good person. I actually think I'm better than that person next door, and that's where I'm going to put my trust. That's where I'm going to put my hope, and ultimately what you're saying is that's what I believe is going to save me. And if you're an irreligious person or an immoral person, grace can be a stumbling block because you might think, there's no way God could accept me. You don't know what I've done. There is no way His grace could reach To someone like me. But for those who don't refuse it, grace is good news for the religious and the irreligious, the moral and the immoral. To the religious, it says, hey, you can stop trying so hard. You're never going to make it on your own anyway. You can accept as a free gift what God's done for you. And to the immoral, the irreligious, it says, just come as you are. You don't have to clean up your life first just come to the cross. You can be rescued. So how do we put this into action? Well, I just want to ask simply, as Cephas was asking this morning, what about you? Have you received this grace? Has it clicked for you? If it has, I just want to encourage you, guys, let's remind ourselves, this is reason to celebrate. This is reason to dance and sing and go crazy like nothing else in our lives, because we're free, we're forgiven, we're accepted, not based on how good a week we had, but but based on the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. And if you haven't got this yet, if you haven't received it, I want to encourage you today, today is as good a day as any, in fact, it's the best day for you to consider taking this gift, and we'd love to help you with that. Come and chat to us after the service. It's really simple. It's just reaching out and accepting the love of God, this unconditional love towards us that we've been talking about already today. Okay, the second thing we see happening in Iconium, though, is that not only does grace rescue freely, grace unites diversity. So we see in chapter, in chapter 14, verse 1 again, that both Jews and Greeks believed. So the gospel unites people across racial and ethnic lines. It's like the Jews, the Greeks, the Gentiles, the Phrygians, which was that, that area as well, they, they kind of heard this gospel and it was like radically different from anything they'd ever heard. I can just come as I am. That's amazing. And they responded and they accepted the gift of grace and they opened their eyes. And they were kind of surprised to see who was standing next to them. It's like, oh my goodness, there's a, there's a Gentile here. and There's a Jew. There's, there's a slave. there's um, You see the the gift of grace united them in ways that they never thought that they could be united. It brought them closer to people that they never would dream they could be associated with. And the gospel does that, grace does that, because it gives us a new identity that is in Christ. You see, we've all got our cultural identities, and that diversity is, is beautiful. But if you're a believer in Christ, that is not your ultimate identity. Your ultimate identity is that we are all recipients of the same grace. Our standing in the family of God does not depend on what race we come from, what background we come from, what economic class we come from. Our standing in the family of God is based on the free gift of God's forgiveness and love to us. And so when we get that, it gives us a desire and the ability to accept others just as they are. Because we're accepted just as we are. It's like Kogi was saying today once we get, we've been loved unconditionally by God, then, and only then, can we start to unconditionally love people around us, especially those who are radically different to us. Isn't it amazing that as we look around the room here today, what happened in Iconium has happened again here? I mean, look at, look at us. We've all come together. In the name of the grace of God, from every tribe, tongue, nation, nerds, cool people like Tez, like we're all just, we all just together and we're declaring that we are one tribe. We are one person in Christ. But what's interesting and it's, it's actually quite striking is that just a few years later in his letter to the Galatians, Paul is having to remind the church again of their identity. He's having to urge them, hey guys, don't go back to that old way of thinking where you're divided across these lines of, of ethnicity and, and race and tribe. He's urging them to take hold of that unity that was won for them by the grace of God. It says in Galatians 3, 26 to 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. All of you are baptized into Christ. You've clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, nor is there male nor female. You are all one in Christ. One tribe, Galatians needed this reminder from Paul just a few years on. I think we need a reminder of this as well. Because guys, we are a wonderfully diverse church. but I think we've got a long way to go if we're going to be a truly united people. Because it's so easy for our identity in our backgrounds and our differences to kind of slip in subtly and to divide us. It's much easier to spend time with people who look like you, who act like you, who eat like you. It's much harder to spend time with people who are radically different from you. And so, even though we've been united in grace, our our, our different cultures and backgrounds, which have some beautiful things about them, they also have their blind spots. They also have these even um, prejudices that kind of linger around in our subconscious, and then they, they surprise us sometimes. They pop out, and it's like, whoa, where did that come from? And so we need the gospel of grace to sink in deeper in our hearts so we understand that we're not accepted on the basis of anything we bring to the table. It's just by grace, and that makes us hungry and able and desirous of accepting people just as they are. So we need to press into this one tribe, some practical applications. Spend some time with people in this room who don't look like you. Get into a life group with people who don't look like you. Have Chai and Mandazi with someone from a different part of the country to you after church today. What's interesting, though, is that although we read that the gospel of grace united diversity in Iconium, we also actually see that the town was divided, right? It was divided between those who believed and those who didn't believe. So the good news of grace is radically inclusive for anybody will humbly come and receive it. But some will refuse it, and they will unite as they did here, sometimes in opposition. So The gospel of grace is, is wonderfully inclusive but it also can be offensive to the human heart. Why? Well, because it, it kind of tells us we need to get off the throne of our own lives and put God on the throne. You know, Jesus didn't come and say, well, I'm here to hand out kind of trophies for your moral awesomeness. You know, I'm here to congr- congratulate all you people who have got things right. He, he said, no, I, I, I came to save the sick. I came to save sinners, and that means you have to admit to receive the gospel of grace that you're sick, that you're in need of grace, that, that, that you're a sinner, and that, that can be tough. It can be offensive, but what we see in response to this offense, this division in Iconium is that Paul and Barnabas continue to simply tell people the good news. They don't remove the offensive parts of the gospel. They don't stop talking about all that stuff of sin and righteousness and blood and, and sacrifice. No, they continue just to simply proclaim the good news of grace. Because they know, as Paul said in his letter to Corinth, that the gospel is folly to those who don't believe. That it's the power of God to save for those who do. Michael Eaton, who lived and ministered here in Nairobi, A great theologian, he said in his commentary of this passage, the opposition that is roused by the preaching of the gospel is now becoming a steady pattern in the experience of the early church. It's been happening for 10 years or so now. They do not apologize when they are attacked. They do not adjust their message to be more acceptable. Christians are to let nothing deflect them from their message. And so this year, as we go investing and inviting in the neighborhoods and the nations, that's our vision statements for this year, we can expect that the gospel of grace will unite, include people from radically different backgrounds. We can also expect that some will refuse it, and some might even be united in opposition to it. And that opposition opposition will come... But we need to understand that just because the message of the gospel of grace is offensive and we need to be continuing to to declare it, we don't have to be defensive. Offensive. Let me say that again. Just because the gospel of grace can be offensive doesn't mean we need to be. All right? In fact, as Christians, we should be exactly the opposite. Because as people who've received grace, by definition, we did nothing to deserve it. We know better than anybody else. So that means as we share this good news, we do it humbly and gently, and we love the people in front of us. We recognize that they are in the same boat that we are in. We recognize that they are made beautifully in the image of God. They reflect something of His beauty and His diversity. Lastly, as the message of grace impacts this little Galatian town, Iconium, we see that grace works powerfully. You know, and that, that might sound like a little bit of a contradiction, right? Because we've been talking about how grace is something we get not by works, but it's just a free gift. And it is common to, to kind of fall into this trap where you think, okay, I need grace to get to know Jesus, to accept Jesus. But once I've accepted Jesus, now I need to get to the hard work of following Jesus. And we kind of separate it from grace. We leave grace behind, and now we get to work, trying really hard. And actually, what I want to show to you here is that grace does work. Grace does strengthen. Grace empowers. It works in and through the people who've received it. Just because just we get rescued by grace, we also get empowered by grace to live and follow Jesus. And the reason why this was needed so badly in Acts 14 is because of the opposition that we see in this passage. On one level, that opposition came because uh, some people had refused the gospel of grace and it had offended them. On another level, it was opposed by the enemy of grace, who's the devil. And we see throughout the book of Acts that so whenever the gospel of grace is advancing, it's advancing in contested territory. It's not neutral territory. Whenever light is going forward, darkness is pushing back. But we read amazingly in verse 3, in response to this opposition, these trials, It says that Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. They dug in, they spoke boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And then a few verses on, when they hear about this plot to stone them, they wisely flee to Lystra and Darby and to the surrounding country where they continue to preach the gospel. How did these guys keep it up? In the face of this opposition and these trials and these threats, was it because they're just like we're superhumans, just like incredibly strong guys? No. If you read the beginning of Acts, if you were with us then, you remember that Jesus said, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and that's what will enable you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we see that happening here as they speak boldly, as God accompanies the message of grace with this ability to do signs and wonders grace is at work in them in spite of this opposition. Just fast forward a few years though, as Paul writes to the letter of the Galatians, the gospel of grace is facing a different type of opposition. It's not so much this external opposition, it's this internal opposition. It's threatening though the ongoing work of grace in that family of believers. Terry Virgo um, part of a founding movement of the, the bigger family of churches we we're a part of called New Frontiers. And he wrote a great book I highly recommend called God's Lavish Grace. And in that book, he, he talks about this church in Galatia. And he says, you know, um, it's interesting because they started off so well. They received this gospel of grace. It was radically different. They said, wow, I can come as I am. I'm free. This is, this is amazing. And then you find Paul moved on. And behind him came these guys called the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were these these legalists. And they came in and they saw these believers and and they said, Oh, you've received Jesus. Wonderful. You know, actually, in our Old Testament, uh, in our book, it tells us the Gentiles will receive our Messiah. Fantastic. But just listen, we've known God for a bit longer than you have. And um, we just need to tell you, there's a couple of other things you actually need to know about. That's not the end of the story. Because if you really want to please God, if you really want to work out your faith, well, you, you need to make sure you get circumcised. So get the chop. And then you need to make sure you observe the Sabbath religiously. Make sure you get right. And by the way, don't eat this and, and don't eat that. And so what they're doing, they, they started adding stuff to the gospel of grace. And by doing that, they totally missed the point. That the perfect, spotless, innocent Son of God who hung on that cross, and, and in that moment, He took all of our sin and shame. He paid it in full. He said, it is finished. They were saying, that's not enough. You need to add some other stuff to it if you really want to get this right. If you really want to work on pleasing God, you need to do some effort as well. And Paul reminds them with the strongest words possible when he's writing to the church in Galatia that this is crazy. He reminds them that it's by grace that they've been saved. And it's only by grace that they will be empowered by the Spirit to live the Christian life. He says, you foolish Galatians. Galatians 3 verse 2. Who bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit that you are now trying to finish by means of the flesh? The Galatians got this wrong. After starting off receiving the gospel of grace, they started to drift into legalism. And legalism is this hectic effort to please God, to ease your conscience, to please others through good works. And friends, this is still a central tactic of the enemy to stop the powerful work of grace in its tracks. It can so easily take root in churches like ours and in hearts like mine and yours. And Terry Virgo is very helpful here again. He talks about how we can actually pick this up really early on in our Christian life. He says, imagine imagine you're a non-believer and then you meet this, this person in your workplace, and they, they just seem so happy. They seem free. It seems like a peace about them. And you think, I want some of that. And that person invites you to church, and, and you go along, and you come to church, and you hear the good news of the gospel of grace, that you can come just as you are. You can receive it as a free gift. And you thought, shucks, I thought I, I maybe had to clean up my life first, but I can just come as I am. This is amazing. Maybe you walk forward after the service, and, and you take this gift, you know, it can happen exactly the same day that someone pulls you aside and says, hey, you received Jesus today. Oh, yes, I did. I feel so free. It's amazing. It's a gift. And they say, oh, it's great. But let me, there's a couple other things I need to tell you about. Okay, so, so now, that you've, now that you've received Jesus, you really, you really should read your Bible every day. You know, you, there's a couple of meetings you need to attend if you're going to get this right. And shucks, can I just tell you, the way that you dressed, you probably should change that next time you come to church. And so you're standing there and you're hearing this and you're like, okay, I've got that. Okay, thank you. got that as well. All right. Okay, I'll try to do that. Okay, yes, got it. And then you're like, I just feel so wonderfully free. It's just a wonderful day. I've been released. And you start to think, what happened? You look like this guy on the screen, this this poor guy who's been loaded up. And, And you think to yourself, what happened today? Did I get set free or did I get loaded up? And Guys, at One Tribe, I want to encourage us not to get into this confusion where we start to wonder, am I really accepted by God or am I only accepted if I do X, Y, and Z? Hint, if I don't do them, I'm not accepted. This type of loading up, this type of legalism can so subtly become part of our salvation message, part of our church culture of how we're supposed to live out our faith. So let's not load each other up. Instead, let's believe that grace does work. Let's believe the Bible when it says that the gospel of grace does empower us through the Spirit to live the Christian life. Let's believe that when we get it, when the gospel of grace sinks into our hearts and we understand the. Unconditional love of God towards us. We will love others. We will follow his commands. Let's believe that we understand God's generosity to us on the cross. We will be a generous people. We'll give away stuff, not because we feel obliged to, but because we want to. We'll have this passion for Jesus that's fueled by faith and love and hope instead of because we feel like we need to do this just to keep our game together and be accepted by God and by each other. Practically, just two quick things here. One, we need to ask God often for more of the gift of His Spirit. Okay, we saw that it was through the Spirit's power, the free gift of the Spirit, that these guys were able to endure. We've got a great course that's called Thirst. It's a morning where you can just hear more about who the Holy Spirit is, how to receive that gift. Get to that the next time it's on. If you'd like prayer today after the service, we'd love to pray for you. We all need to be doing this often. We all need more of God's Spirit to live out this life. And second, we need to remind each other often that we stand under grace. We need to remind each other as we spur each other on in mission. We've got to intentionally cultivate an atmosphere of grace. It's like Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, You then, my son, be strong in your efforts to... No, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There is real power and strength in living in grace because it's based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It's not like we receive grace at salvation, then we need to move on to self-improvement. No, the more we mature as Christians, the more we need to understand grace and let that melt our hearts and change us as we follow Christ. And I'm not saying we don't need disciplines like Bible reading and study and and prayer. Those those are great, healthy disciplines. They're good things, but they must be done as a means to enjoy God's grace and in response to God's grace, not as a method to try and earn God's grace. As we close this morning, I want to invite the band up. They're going to play a song over us, and and I just want to circle back to a prophetic word Uh, that Belinda brought uh, a few weeks ago. Maybe we can stand together. And I I just thought this word was was such a beautiful picture. These scriptures that she shared were such a beautiful picture of what we've been talking about today. These verses from a prophecy in the Old Testament speak about how God's going to rescue us freely. He's going to unite us from the nations. And He's going to work powerfully in us. As a gift. Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 36, 24 to 28, it says, For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from the countries, and I will bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people And I will be your God.